0: Gisella,
1: that you? Gisella. All
0: right. So, why is she wandering around that place just completely naked?
1: She's strip nude for her killer.
0: Oh, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> um, what's this called again?
1: Strip nude for your killer.
0: Oh. All right. All right. So that was it. Yep. Scott? Yeah. You need to get naked now. Season three, three. season three, three. somebody uh, Season three, banana. Jeff and Scott and Mrs. C. With Blanche and John, the crew a new movie. It's so much fun that you'll have, have to, to pee. pee. It's gonna cure your apathy you and ennui. It's the Slum, slum Girl, the Yen. Still booking gossip. It's the Slum the She's not getting gossip. on the Slum Girl, the Yen. She'll probably fade. Hello again friends and neighbors and welcome to another episode of the Slum Gully in America's only podcast. I am Jeff. Three hours behind me is Scott. How are you? Good sir.
1: I'm doing pretty good for you know
0: me. Indeed this is this. I'm going to leave it right there. Oh folks do we have an unknown movie challenge for you today. (laughs) Oh, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a new genre for us. It is a first, and it's probably a last. We're just going to leave it there.
1: <laughs> but stay tuned. Stay tuned. I think you want to hear what, what we have to say.
0: But before we get to the fun, we have our usual bullshit. And to start the bullshit, we saw The Predator. Oh. Or is it Predators? Or is it A Predator? Or what the fuck is this one called? This is The Predator. And this time he brought pets.
1: He brought pets. He brought friends. <laughs> he brought Predator Planet's leading basketball
0: player. I was trying to figure out how to make that joke. Thank you. For those of you who don't know, this movie has had a little bit of controversy, just just a tad, uh, because Shane Black had a buddy who was in the film who was apparently a convicted sexual predator. This was not announced to anyone until much later, and a cast member, Olivia Munn, remarkably had a problem with this not being told. This caused some issues. Apparently, people were getting mad at her. They completely edited the character out. Once again, this is causing more and more fan geek arguing. My thing on the whole take is uh, Shane Black actually apologized for it. If you haven't seen it, it's on the net. Look for it. We're not going to provide the link uh, to quote an old Mike and Ike phrase, Google it, assholes. But um, Shane Black's apology for the whole mess was actually completely believable. And I gave him massive points for it. I don't know about you.
1: I don't think he had any choice but to apologize but some some apologies are are grudging and mean-spirited and and flagrantly insincere i think he really did fail to think through the implications of what he was doing he had a friend who i honestly because these stories so depress me i do not do deep dives into them so I have read either I have read that the friend is a registered sex offender. Now, that can mean anything from actual sexual predation to getting caught in a car, uh, masturbating in daylight hours. So I I don't know what in front of
0: a grade school.
1: Yeah. Well, see, this is why I don't read those stories. (laughs) There are people who feel like, all right, well, if you've turned your life around and you've. You're trying to move forward and have a second act, for which you need a second chance. Shane Black provided <laughs> a, a second chance for this person. Now, I don't think that he thought that this person, who was a friend of his, posed a danger to anyone on set, which again is beside the point. Uh, if you're if you're a woman and you find out that your scene, she played a scene with a guy, is a registered sex offender hey a heads up at the very least would have been nice so I, I think he was just wearing blinders about this like most men are and was maybe taken aback by how upset she was and and how how much of the sort of roiled fandom in the press so he may really have been legitimately sorry rather than just apologetic but the whole thing again was was an own goal and then the ball was kicked further toward their own goal by jake Busey, who had to bitch about olivia munn bringing this up the weekend the movie opened like why can't you wait until a week later to be legitimately upset about having unknowingly uh, work with a sexual predator why'd you have to bring it up he said you can see shane black's face somebody brought this up on the red carpet and he just looked stunned and why why can't you let you know everyone have their moment and i'm like so it's always the woman who's got to cater to the tender feelings of the man. And Olivia was basically, well, she was one of all but two women in that movie. Yes. That's where, for, for me, the whole thing is just becomes forehead slapping. Shut the fuck up. If my father was Gary Busey, if I was the apple, I would want to roll as far away from that tree as possible. <laughs> Jake Busey just dropped like a turd and began to rot right there amongst the roots and the loam at the foot of the tree.
0: But as you can see, the film has unfortunately um, been completely uh, discolored by this entire conversation, and that is the one thing that I did actually kind of like in Shane Black's apology, is he was like, the film should have been about the film, but instead it's about this and this, and that's my fault. Yes, you're right, and good points to you for actually saying that. So, like I said, we said we'd seen the movie, and then we spent the first 15 minutes talking about the controversy so the question then becomes how's the movie
1: let me sum up the movie's message here it is autism is the next great step in human evolution
0: <laughs> so hop on
1: that bus now folks
0: uh, um, i was i don't know how to put this any other way i was just kind of meh I was kind of like the way that we were about Deadpool 2 about the entire thing. I'm like, okay, it's there. I've seen this before. <laughs> right. I've seen it. Be- I've seen it better edited before. Oh my lord! How big a part did this guy have? Because there are some places. Look, this film was edited with a bad with a blunt blender.
1: Everything I've heard. And again, you you can't trust whatever you hear, right? Because um, they're in damage control mode. According to reports, the guy had one scene. Sounds like he was somebody in a lab coat providing an exposition. I agree with you. The, the The movie has that that edited and a Cuisinart feel, but i I don't think it's because this guy was taken out of the fabric of the narrative. I have a feeling. No, I don't just, think so either. The to me, the editing stank of frenzied scissoring in the wake of a series of test screenings. Okay. I just don't. I just don't think Sorry, it, it did I well didn't find as a. Test ah, shut up, Siri. I didn't ask for your help. I mean, I liked Deadpool 2 much better than I liked this movie. Yes. Um, And I feel like there was a stronger rationale for Deadpool 2 than there was for this movie. There, There have been how many six sequels, prequels, reboots, further elaborations in the universe of the original Predator film?
0: Uh, Oh, the one spoiler that I will throw in, because, again, I don't care enough to spoil this either way, but the one thing that I will say is, oh, sweet prom, fuck the predator dogs. Oh, predator puppies! Oh dear Lord. I thought the poodle hulks in Angley's Hulk were bad. No, you can make things worse. Like I said, I, I walked out and I'm just like, okay, I don't know what this was about. I don't know what this was saying, except boom boom, and I guess I'm okay with that. It's a summer film, yay.
1: Let's talk about that. You just brought up the, the major point I have with this movie. What's it about? And this is this is what I'll say about it, because I I mused about this on my walk back from the theater okay i love how this movie is just an out of control shooting gallery of ricocheting mcguffins and (sighs) screaming confused customers and i'm not talking about the twist that you get about Mm -hmm. you know in the second act where the first predator turns out not to be the threat and is in fact fleeing another predator minute bowl predator um I'm talking, Uber Predator. Pre-Uber. Pre, 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 Pre-Uber. Um,
0: Pre-Uber. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I'm,
1: talking, I'm talking about the stakes of the film, the narrative stakes, and how they just randomly change from scene to scene. At one point, it's the Predators are stealing humans to use as DNA donors to accelerate their own genetically engineered evolution. No way. Wait, 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 wait. Actually, Predator number one has the cure for global warming, and he wants to give it to humanity as a free gift. Not unlike the sneaker phone you used to get for subscribing to Sports Illustrated. No. Hang on. Turns out it's all just a lead in for a sequel featuring Boyd Holbrook in a Predator fighting Iron Man suit. Yeah. You know, you know Yay. how like yeah, you know how like the third act. You think that it's like, like they're all risking their lives because was there a
0: third act? It seemed like it went. Uh, there were, it, the second act ended. There were maybe three cuts, and then the film was over.
1: I'm I'm speaking chronologically, not artistically.
0: Okay, understood. Not narratively,
1: Sterling K. Brown is our is our half-assed uh, human villain. There's always one, and he's saying, "Well, we got to find what the first predator brought." because how long before our planet becomes uninhabitable, at least for humans, due to global climate change? Uh, Two generations, maybe one. We have to get this information. It's desperately important, and I don't care how many of you people I have to kill to get to it. Then it turns out, nah, it wasn't really that. It was kind of like this knockoff Iron Man suit, which is really not going to do anything for global warming, but it will help extend the life of your franchise, if not your planet. So... Okay, that's not even a bait and switch.
0: It's it's crap. It's crap. L- it really is. It is. I mean, like I said, it didn't it didn't annoy me as much as other things. That's why I'm like not angry about it. But it's just bad. It really is.
1: Um, Olivia Munn is not a terrific actress in my opinion. But I, I did notice in her one nude scene that she does have very deep neck pits. <laughs> Oh, and let's get to the heart of the casting here. Our star is Boyd Holbrook, actor and fashion model. Uh, For those who don't recognize that name, and I certainly didn't before I had to look it up, he was in Gone Girl. He played a DEA agent in Narcos. And as most of our listeners will probably remember, he was the evil mercenary with the robot
0: arm in Logan. That's where I recognized him from. Okay, that was bugging me most of, uh, at least, 10, 15 minutes of the movie before I eventually stopped caring. But okay, cool. Thank you.
1: Yeah, so this movie adds nothing to the mythos, nothing to the franchise. Basically, all it does is it takes the first movie out of the jungle, puts it in the suburbs, because that's always an upgrade. That's about it. And I just have to say that the ending was the stupidest damn thing I've seen in a long time. And I just watched... The movie we just watched for the unknown movie challenge so uh, yeah
0: yeah we're going to we're going to let you discover that amongst yourselves mm-hmm. if you decide to go see it but i agree with scott before we move on because we do have a few other things to talk about i have to say something i just saw this i don't know when this happened but this is the first i've heard about it happened today definitely Gary Kurtz, producer of American Graffiti, the original Star Wars trilogy, The Dark Crystal and Return to Oz, um, is dead. He died of cancer.
1: Oh, man. He He was the genius who made Empire Strikes Back the film it was. Yes. That's sad news. And yet George Lucas lives on
0: ow oh don't don't at me nerds there is no at but i won't disagree with you on that but yeah i i was just cruising the interwebs briefly and that just popped up so i think that like more or less just kind of happened within the hour within the last couple hours
1: i won't suggest a moment of silence because people will just fast forward through it it is a podcast after all but uh, i will say let
0: hats off and to quote the mst3 uh, the mst3k crew here's the gary kurtz one of the good dead ones Absolutely. All right. Now moving on to something slightly happier, kind of tangenting off of Keegan-Michael Key being in um, whatever the fuck that prior to film was. As you may or may not know, um, this may actually, they're actually starting to get reasons now to want the CBS all access streaming service. I'm sure you've heard about the uh, return of Jean-Luc Picard into the Star Trek fold.
1: Yay, more self-righteous lectures. Yay.
0: <laughs> but here's the one that I am. Well, the Star Trek fans would argue that point with you. I'm kind of, we'll see what they do with the show. They could do something interesting if they have the right people behind it. However, or they the could I- end
1: every episode with a self-righteous tongue lashing from Jean-Luc Picard. Because if they weren't pulling some bit of techno babble out of their ass that involved the main deflector dish, it was Picard giving somebody a tongue lashing. And not in any sort of arousing way.
0: It worked for several seasons on He-Man. But anyway, (laughs) um, the reason why I bring this up is another series that CBS All Access has added is, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Jordan Peele, who the writer-director of Get Out and uh, Keegan-Michael Key's partner on The Peele Show, is producing a new um, iteration of The Twilight Zone. Producing, writing, and hosting. And hosting, yes, because it has been announced that he is officially the host of the new series. And to that, I say, I want to watch that. I do, too. I am happy to see him as the new Rod Serling. And we know Jordan Peele loves genre. He has said that for a long time, especially when he was making Get Out, how much he loves the genre. He's a huge Twilight Zone f- uh, fan, and if anybody can do some great modern twilight zone stories i think this guy's going to be able to do it because it's all that alone is almost worth the um price of cbs all access maybe almost
1: the problem man how many dc is launching its streaming network cbs is taking the star trek franchise disney is going to be according to reports having its own streaming
0: service oh and speaking of which i'm sorry but i have to interrupt this okay are you ready for this horse shit this 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 pisses me off. So Disney has announced um, on their streaming service, of course, we're going to have John Favreau's live-action Star Wars series, which, hey, more power to you. Um, oh, Disney, somebody at Disney has said they dropped the ball on the Star Wars movies. What? Someone at Disney has said they did actually kind of drop the ball a little bit on the Star Wars movies and releasing too many. Someone at Disney has finally said maybe one a year might be too much. And I went, oh, good for you guys. I think
1: one a year is just about Right. I, I, I think the problem is they were, is in some cases, they were overlapping. I think uh, Solo came out six months after The Last Jedi. Right,
0: right. That's too that, no, that is very, very true. No, I think it should be every other year. I, I, I like the I like the Empire and then two years later, Jedi. That that that's that just seems the right time. But anyway, um, like I said, they're gonna have their uh their, their Star Wars a live action show. And now they've announced that they're going to have a couple of Marvel shows on their streaming service, which really makes me wonder about the fate of the Netflix shows, but we'll get that's another topic for another day. The 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 shows in particular that marvel has announced for their street for the disney streaming service include um elizabeth olsen returning for her role as the scarlet witch and tom hiddleston returning to the role of loki
1: they're throwing some money at these these are lost leaders these are solely designed to make people sign up they're sitting on billions of dollars of cash they're going to throw a couple billion at some high-profile, very splashy series that are guaranteed to get a tremendous amount of free media. But this worries me because there's only so much money people have. I, I cannot possibly sign up for another um, streaming service. And a lot of people feel that they're almost certainly going to pull the Marvel movies off of Netflix. They're going to, some people are going to make the decision, especially people with families, to maybe, all right, we'll get rid of Netflix Disney doesn't need any more money. We do not need any more consolidation in the the media ecosystem. And some people say, "No, no, everyone having their own streaming, that's great. That means more diversity. That means more opp- that means more series, that means more opportunities for creators." But it doesn't mean that. It means it means some people are going to die. It means some services are going to just wither up. Even if Netflix survives, which I believe it will, they're going to have less money. Their growth was going to be slowed if not stunted, which means they're gonna be producing fewer things. So what it means is yeah, there'll be more opportunities on Disney and there's a lot of things Disney won't do, especially on a Disney branded streaming app. Dream the Universal. Touchstone. The, the Touch- Touchstone thank you. app. Yes. I was thinking Tombstone and I knew no, that's a pizza.
0: Um <laughs> uh, you're kinda of close actually. <laughs> I guess we'll see where it goes. I'm interested to officially see a Star Wars show for kids. Because Resistance is definitely, at least from that trailer, it looks like it's going to be a kid's show. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying, let's... Let's know. I think that's why some people got so angry at the trailer because Disney did not advertise this from the beginning as a kid show. I, I I've seen other people say this, and I think I think they're right about this. They just said, "Here's the new Star Wars show," but if you look at it, it's going to be for kids.
1: It seems to be because uh, th- they're all racing and doing fun things that excite kids. And there's a there's a depressingly low body count. I mean, as we talked about on the Rebels show, uh, one thing Rebels did and did well. Was killed thousands of people per episode.
0: Ah, yes, collateral damage. What a joyous thing.
1: So it, it will be interesting to see how well Filoni can keep his his uh, bloodstained death grip off the property.
0: But anyway, uh, do you have anything that you wish to bring up? I got a couple things. Go right ahead, sir.
1: Well, one, and this is old news by now, but uh, Henry Cavill is out as Superman after he and his agent couldn't come into an agreement over his payday for a cameo appearance in the upcoming Shazam film. However, uh, today word came down Cavill will be replaced by Cavill's mustache.
0: Oh, good. I mean, that needs more work anyway. I'm not worried for Cavill. He's he's going to play Geralt now, so I'm totally fine with Geralt. Him, him him, no longer being Superman. Yeah, it fucks up the DCU, but let's face it, that's been fucked up from the beginning. They should just make Flash, the Flashpoint Paradox, reboot the whole goddamn thing and start over.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. At this point, it's it's just closing the door after the horse got fucked.
0: Um, exactly. And, and I think I think Cavill will have much more fun as Geralt. He loves the character. He wants to do right. The people who are making the show want to do right. I think this is going to be overall a better fit.
1: I will certainly give it a look. Uh, although I haven't played the Witcher game. So I'm not-
0: uh, read the books, dude. I mean, they're different in the game. But I mean, the books are I read two of the books now. And wow and this just wow i'm i'm in love it's an amazing fantasy series it really is
1: i have to admit i haven't read much polish fantasy i will give that look speaking of books i i read the house with a clock in its walls i saw the movie yesterday as did i ah
0: as did i i haven't read the book but yeah i went saw that yesterday as well
1: the first few minutes of it were consumed with Size and eye rolls because they changed things that seemingly didn't need to be changed for any reason whatsoever. Okay, and then it turns out that there were reasons why they changed it, they just weren't necessarily good reasons. Like, for instance, uh, in the book, Jack Black's character, Uncle Jonathan, Uncle, he, 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 the boy's dead father was Jonathan's brother. In the movie, the dead mother is Jonathan's sister, and that's solely so that the mother can make appearances uh, in the boy's bedroom without setting off an Amber Alert.
0: Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> in a variety of ways.
1: And the other, the, the one more thing, and then I just decided to get on with the movie and not be annoyed by it. The book takes place in 1948, which is, oh. and they bumped it ahead to 1955. Why? So that the kid can be the fan of a Captain Video-style TV show for reasons that do not pay off at all.
0: I was wondering about that.
1: <laughs> it's solely so that the kid can wear goggles and give the bullies a reason to look askance at him.
0: But I have to say, overall, I like this better than the first Goosebumps movie. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, they had, they had a, um, a trailer for Goosebumps 2 uh, ahead of this. Which Jack Black did not do to do this film, by the way. That's uh, fine. I didn't. I didn't watch Goosebumps, <laughs> and I won't. I won't watch the second one because I don't need a, to pay eighteen dollars to the ArcLight Theater to find out that uh, gummy bears are evil.
0: Well, the, the the one thing that I will say about this, because I really, I, I was just sort of like, again, okay, it's a summer movie, entertaining. Uh, it's interesting to see Eli Roth doing a mainstream studio film. That's not Death Wish.
1: Yeah, I don't know how much his heart was in it. The book is creepy as hell. Okay. And- and the film was
0: not. The film was not.
1: The film was not at all. I liked it. Uh, I thought the the kid did not annoy me at all, which shocked the hell out of me.
0: I was going to uh, say, for you, that says something. So Yeah,
1: so kudos to the casting. Kudos to his performance. Uh, Jack Black was very Jack Black, but I, I was expecting that going in. Kate uh, Blanchett was very nice. I think she struck just the proper tone. Again, the character in the book is 20 to 30 years older. She is a... Very wrinkled old hag. In the okay, book. they played fast and loose with her backstory,
0: but it's it's fine. Without having read the book, you know, just going in literally blind on this one, I kind of feel the same way. It's fine.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the the whole climax is a bit, who cares? It's one of those things where the villain's plan makes absolutely no sense. No sense at all. My big problem with plots like this that uh, hinge on some sort of man-made apocalypse is that it uh, erodes my suspension of disbelief because I, I figure at a minimum, any villain who is smart enough to precipitate the end of the world uh, should be smart enough to figure out some way to get something out of it other than a climax. So I, you know, I was fine. I, I went with it. I had no problem. The, the movie had built up a certain amount of goodwill. It's not terribly funny. As you say, it's not really scary at all.
0: So let me, let me ask you this real fast. Would you suggest I read the book? I would suggest you read the book. Yeah. Because I, I found the story relatively interesting. So if the book is better and a little bit different, I'll definitely dive into it.
1: Yes. The book has much more atmosphere, but yes, re- read the book. Uh, I would recommend anyone read the book.
0: No, I will check. You read one of the Wisher books. I'll read House with a clock with a clock in its walls with the predator,
1: and we'll compare notes. Fair the enough.
0: House with the predator in its walls.
1: Uh, two last things I want to mention: the book that Larry Blamire was working on when we talked last time with him is out now.
0: Great. Yeah. Yes, I did see him post that. You will put the link in the description. I will.
1: Great Scott. The Rare Imaginary comic book covers.
0: uh, Because it's from Larry. Anything from Larry is worth it. That's all we're saying.
1: Anything from Larry. And we're not making this recommendation purely based on past performance because we have seen samples of what's in the book. And they're all just uniformly mind-boggling. Last thing is the Captain Marvel trailer.
0: Oh, that's right. Okay, she punched an old woman. She punched an old woman. Um, That's what everybody took away from that trailer. And I'm like, and with good reason, because I was hysterical.
1: It was. And there's a good in-canon reason for it. So and, and, it, and her punching the old lady told you, if you know anything about the canon at all, what the story is going to be, which excited me. Because they said, well, there wasn't much detail about the story. I
0: go, there's plenty. Of, they, they dropped a ton of Easter eggs in that. But you have, I was going to say, yeah, I, I can pretty much follow everything. And I have to admit, this is the first time I've actually liked de-aging because Sam Jackson, young Sam Jackson, looks good.
1: He looked better than uh, young Phil Coulson, but we only got the one shot of Phil Coulson and he wasn't speaking. The technology is maturing. They're getting there.
0: And I am happy to see Coulson on the big screen again. Give Clark Gregg more work. This is cool.
1: Clark Gregg cannot get enough work as far as I'm concerned. I like Breed Larson. I think she's a a remarkably gifted actress. She is such an unlikely action hero that I'm intrigued about how this is going to go. But the reaction from... Female Twitter has been big. Women are very excited about this.
0: Oh, okay. Which, of course, means certain men aren't, obviously, I'm assuming.
1: I'm assuming. I don't read those people. But every once in a while, someone will quote them.
0: And, uh, you know. Whatever. I'm looking forward to it. I have to say, I I was like, all right, it's a one shot. We're not going to have to have seen 80 million films. This is <laughs> only a, I'm, let's see what they do here with this alien invasion film. Although, like I said, so help me if we find, I, I'm, I'm interested to see which main character will be unveiled as a scroll. Because you know that's going to happen. At the, that's that is going to be the cross. The post-credit scene is one of our major characters is going to be unveiled as a shapeshifter. Possibly more than one. Uh, based based because on because
1: the secret they're going to
0: set up. I was going to say they're they're going to set up secret invasion. There's no other way that the scroll. The fact that they're making the scroll such a major part of the secret invasion is going to happen.
1: And, and I have to say that the first shot where she falls out of the sky and crashes. Through uh, uh, the roof of a building And they pan down And it's a blockbuster Blockbuster, yeah All right I'm already in a good mood
0: And I can't remember if you said it or not, but someone mentioned this, that Stanley's cameo should be the owner or the manager of that blockbuster.
1: Yeah, you walk in the next morning and just look up at this huge hole in the ceiling.
0: All right! All right, yeah, it's definitely I I am definitely intrigued by it. Um, One last thing that I will throw in, I have been a very good boy and have been avoiding spoilers like an SOB and trailers for both the new Halloween and the new Suspiria. However, I saw one tweet about Suspiria that divulged nothing but made me very, very happy. The guy absolutely loved the movie. And the reason why he loved the movie is because it is a completely different take on the story. He was like, so many people are going to be comparing it to the original when it is so its own thing. And that makes me very happy.
1: Well, I want to ask you a question because on yeah. the one hand, there are, I mean, I'm always of two minds about remakes. I, I I think that there are a lot of bad reasons to remake good movies. Um, Most of them are are mercenary and parasitic, Uh, but there are also justifiable reasons, and you can say, well, look, the movie was made in the 70s, the sexual politics are a little bit hard to take, Uh, maybe there's some unfortunate and overt racism, maybe the state of the art of special effects wasn't equal to the director's ambitions. Uh, maybe uh, the studio got cold feet about certain things and a lot of good material wound up on the cutting room floor uh, Maybe there were budgetary limitations and maybe it was an independent production and and frankly the actors weren't that good I mean, I acknowledge all of that and but when people say oh, it's going to be its own thing or really it's going to be a completely new take. My first question is always well Why if you want to do a completely new take on the story? Don't you simply do your own story? Write your own movie why are you remaking this one? Where do you fall in that? Well, and I, it's. Uh,
0: I This sounds so wishy washy, but I think it's a case by case basis. Because, and I really do, because I mean, there have been some times where I've been like, okay, does this film need remade? Does this film need remade? There are times I've gone, you know what? I'm kind of okay with this just on the announcement. And when I heard about Suspiria and. I, I freely admit, I love the Suspirio. It's it's not a very cohesive movie. Some people say that's the point because it has that nightmare quality. It's meant to be a fever dream. I'm totally down with that. I mean, again, visually, I think it's absolutely stunning. That being said, when I heard they were going to remake this, I'm like, I hope they're just not going to just redo what Argento did. Right. I mean, because that's already been done. This is a case where I'm like, okay, if you're going to remake it, take the, take the basic story and do something new. Go for a different feel. Go for a different tone. Do something with this story. And it looks like that's what they did. Um, Evil Dead, you know, like, for instance, the Evil Dead reboot, let's, let us not forget that the original Evil Dead was not a comedy. The first Sam Raimi Evil Dead was very much a horror film. It
1: wasn't an intentional comedy.
0: No, it was not an intentional, I mean, and, and then were the special effects at the end, which I'm not talking about, but there are moments in the original Evil Dead that are kind of disturbing. The tree rape scene, I still think is kind of creepy, except for that final shot. Right. But, um, you know, when they remade. When they remade it, did they give us Evil Dead the musical? No, but what they gave us was once again a pretty serious horror film. Like, okay, this is well made, but this is basically kind of, okay, I've seen this already. I, I I want to be surprised by this movie, knowing knowing the film Suspiria as well as I know it. I want to go, I really hope that I'm like, well, shit, that's new. Well, fuck, I really kind of want that in this. I mean, it's if it's a shitty film, oh, well, but right now I'm kind of going, all right, it looks like it's got a totally different feel. It almost has like a Kubrickian coldness about it from the trailer. And I'm like, that kind of works for this, I think.
1: That's a good way of putting it.
0: Like, here's, okay, just real quick tangent. I I watched this. It was finally available. I don't know if you heard this or not, but somebody remade Blood Feast. No. What? Blood Feast was remade. And um, it actually stars, you'll recognize this name, Robert Rustler. Oh, jeez. He <laughs> he plays he plays Fouad Ramsey's and <laughs> um, <laughs> they actually went for a very dark tone in this. And imagine if Blood Feast was done as a straight as a splatter film, but done by people who cared and wanted to make a good splatter film. OK. All right. the re- The remake of Blood Feast is actually a good movie. I don't like it because I don't. I'm not a big fan of splatter films, but it's effective. The acting in it is good. It's a different take on the story. Since we're talking about remakes like that, this is actually a very prime example of it. They took a base a shit film and made it a good film. Wow. I still don't like it because it's not my genre, you know what I mean? But still, I'm like, they took what was originally... This was like the true definite what, what remake should do. They took a horrible film and made a better film out of it. Wow. And it is 99% practical effects. Oh, is it really? Yes, it is, it is uh, almost entirely practical. They said there was some digital. I didn't see it. If... We have listeners out there who are Splatter fans. I highly recommend the remake of Blood Feast. I saw it on Amazon. I rented it. It's relatively cheap. Um, If that's your thing, I think you guys will like it. And on that note, oh, boy. (laughs) Uh, What a lead in. Yes, indeed. Uh, Dear friends, um, we'll be right back after this message with the unknown movie challenge. And oh, boy, is this uh, this unknown? Is this a challenge? (laughs) It's the unknown movie unknown movie unknown challenge it's the unknown movie unknown movie unknown challenge
1: it's the unknown movie
0: unknown movie unknown movie challenge that's right it's the unknown movie challenge McMahon. what we gonna watch unknown challenge it's the unknown what we gonna watch unknown challenge it's the unknown what we gonna watch unknown challenge that's right It's It's the the Unmovie Challenge. Challenge. Ready for battle. Are you ready to get this over with? (laughs) Let's get this over (laughs) with. That's
1: my favorite way to approach anything. Your can-do positive attitude inspires me, Jeff.
0: That's what I'm here for, Scott. Thank you. That is what
1: I'm here for. I'm more than ready to get this over
0: with. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It is time for the Unknown Movie Challenge. And this week's film was suggested by Scott. And uh, Scott, before we actually get into the film, I have a question for you. Yes. Well, actually, I have two questions for you. Um, the first question is, was I the one who suggested the sweet blood of Jesus? That one was me, wasn't it? Oh, yes, it was. Okay, okay. All right. So then in response to that, um, you've gotten me back for that. And my second question <laughs> is, why do you hate me? Oh,
1: man, that's not one question. What have I done? There's a lot of answers to that question. There are question. many
0: answers to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, just for uh, for the for the uninitiated, Scott, what film did you pick for this week? I picked,
1: and I picked this in good faith, knowing nothing about it other than the genre. I picked the 1975 Italian Jello film, "Strip Nude for Your Killer."
0: Now. Full disclosure here, originally Scott had suggested the film The Last Starfighter, which neither of us have seen in decades, and I was down for that, but I couldn't find a copy. This was his alternate suggestion, and I was like, for the title alone, we have to watch this movie, which, if you're a regular listener, you know, with that title, we had to watch this movie. (laughs) That's how we pick a lot. That being said... That being said, oh, holy shit, this movie. Yeah,
1: you know, sometimes the whole point of the Unknown Movie Challenge was always gambling. It was always our little trip to movie Vegas. We were going to roll the dice and see what what happens. Sometimes it comes up turbo kid or it comes up jigsaw sometimes it comes up the snake eyes that is the sweet blood of jesus or strip nude for your
0: killer before we get into detail about this this will tell you how i feel about the movie this movie right off the bat i like the sweet blood of jesus better
1: oh wow really oh i can't go there
0: this is the fucking birdemic <laughs> of slasher film for me this film caused me actual pain scott
1: I had a different reaction. I was laughing through most of it. And Mary had to come in and say, uh, so you're watching a comedy? I said, not, not on purpose. Kind of, effectively. Yeah, yes. I'm going to say that there were many things about this movie I enjoyed. Many things about it I did not enjoy. But it is, I think, kind of a perfect example Of the genre.
0: That explains why I will never watch another giallo film then. Uh, You know what? There are clearly better ones. Argento has made a couple of giallos, and I actually did like those.
1: Right. It's possible to find good examples of the genre, films that are good just as films. But this, I think, is a very pure example of the genre, whether it's good or not. However much mystery and suspense they aspire to they're basically slasher movies and there's a ceiling for quality in in any kind of enterprise like that you begin well hey it's like the first halloween okay that's that's pretty good and then there's all the other ones below that which are copying that this by the time we get to this because the jello craze really started in about the mid-60s and by the time we get to 1975, it's kind of petering out. It's not dead by any means. There's plenty of people who want to flog that horse and would continue to do so. But it was it was so wrapped up in its own tropes. And and it's all in this. They were very conscientious about what they were ripping off. And they got down to business and rolled up the sleeves and ripped away. So I give it... I don't give it credit. I acknowledge that <laughs> that this is a veritable compendium of... Jello film cliches, and we will no. we will get to them.
0: We'll get we'll get to those now, now. I admit, like I said, my my knowledge of, of giallo as a subgenre is is very limited, which is another reason why I was actually excited to get into this. I'm like, okay, much like discovering Sassy Sue, whatever the hell that other country porn softcore thing was, we watched. This was a new thing for me. Okay, so I'm like, all right, I know what this is. Now I can uncover it. And pretty much all I had heard about giallo's up until this point was that for the most part, it would they were basically slasher films with lots of unsavory characters. That was the one thing that I knew was that for the most part, the characters in these films were kind of unlikable.
1: Yes. The thing that first attracted me to Jell-O's when I was a youthful cinephile was that they had a sort of unsavory literary origin. They were based on a genre of novels, of murder mystery novels, I guess, that all had the same sort of cheap look about them, and they all had yellow covers a jello means yellow in Italian. So that that's a kind of a literary pedigree that interests me. Okay. And, and it also has something that uh, American films didn't really get much until the 70s, which is, as you say, very unlikable characters, fearlessly unlikable characters.
0: Fearlessly unlikable is a phenomenal way of describing these characters, Scott. I hated every single person in this film.
1: I hated every person but one. Take really? Yes. There was one person I liked and one person... I was okay with everybody else was loathsome, uh, including our hero. Oh. In, in fact oh. our, our hero was ex- oh my God our hero was extra loathsome. But you know what there was something uncompromising about that that in these films that that I I kind of like even though it's unpleasant to watch because there's nothing comparable in American films at the time. Until you get into the seventies, when they decided there was money in antiheroes, and everyone was disillusioned about Vietnam. But I mean, Italians had been dyspeptic about the social order basically since the late Renaissance. Just, right. I mean, just just look at some of their their early literature. It's all about nuns and priests are screwing around, and everybody's a hypocrite. That's just they're very depressed, and yet at the same mm-hmm. time they're full of they're full of life. So mm-hmm. their society seems to be like a hollow log full of maggots but there's campari and there's sex so they're gonna make the most of that in every scene in this movie in somebody's house or usually their apartment there's always bottles of liquor in places that americans don't usually have them bottles of whiskey and brandy and and mixers on the nightstand next to the bed or wherever the camera looks these people have booze bottles. I'm like, okay, I can understand that. You know, European history wasn't that kind to you.
0: (laughs) Now, I will say this before we go into detail. There was one scene in this film That almost gave me a spit take from laughing. The only time I laughed in the entire film, there's one shot and I was drinking right right when it happened and almost got a spit take. It was this hysterical. Only one scene. We'll see if you thought it was funny when we get to it. That's all I'm going to say until we actually get to that moment because there's so much crap to go through first. Oh, yeah. Well, let's plunge right in because this movie. How do we start
1: with an abortion? Yes, this film opens. I have to say this film opens with more pubic bush than usual. And when I say bush, I don't mean one pathetic little growth like the tree in a Charlie Brown Christmas. I mean a nursery full of shrubberies. I mean Normandy style hedgerows of pubic hair. The wild, untamed jungle of sub-equatorial Debbie. Bring a machete.
0: Ah, My favorite joke is they don't have bush, they have forests.
1: (laughs) And it's at least something to take your mind off the very unsafe reaction, because as you say, we're in mid-abortion when the film opens. And considering that this is three years before the procedure became legal in Italy and the immediate surroundings Mm -hmm. don't appear to meet the minimum standards of clinical cleanliness, and the attending physician looks like a cross between Harpo Marx and Dr. Giggles, I, I, I had a feeling things were not going to go well. Apropos.
0: Very apropos. Thank you.
1: And things don't go well. The woman dies stark naked on the table, and the doctor calls up someone named Carlo. And uh, we don't see Carlo's face, but the two take her back to her house and leave her in the bathtub with the water running, which um, I, I hate when that happens, especially if I'm living in the apartment underneath. But... <laughs> Then we cut to a sunny spa, and it really actually looks like a nice place. Except there's
0: lots of very Italians wearing very, very, very tiny teeny, shorts,
1: teeny tiny shorts, and teeny very, tiny very, speedos. Very, yes. very
0: tiny shorts. I was gonna say, with the amount of bush and those shorts, I, I kind of turned straight for a little bit in this movie for <laughs> at least 10 minutes. I think I was straight. <laughs>
1: hey we can't use that again that was the title of a show already
0: <laughs> well it happens occasionally it does, you I know say? it happens
1: to you i really think you should get your homosexuality checked because it seems defective
0: keeps going on the fritz like 10 minutes here 10 minutes here it's like yes but thankfully eventually something ha- I, I i i go to the mechanic and i get it fixed i'm okay but anyway so we're in this spa and we have lots of guys wearing things that they should not wear including our hero who will get to in a minute and yes we have this random woman um random redhead walking down and she knows exactly what she's trying to do. She's trying to get somebody's attention just because the way she's wiggling that ass. Yep. This is not a I'm walking to swim walk. This is a I'm walking to get laid walk.
1: And she does indeed attract the attention of a half nude photographer named Carlo. You know what? I'll spare you the suspense because there really isn't any. It's the same guy who helped the back alley abortion doctor dispose of the uh, the dead woman in the first scene. Wait, what? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? No. And oh I my
0: God, I get it now yeah (laughs) sorry
1: so he starts bird dogging her and he snaps some pictures of her and he gives her the old you should be a model line Telling her he works for the
0: biggest fashion magazines in the world, and while continually snapping pictures of her, whether he whether she wants it or not, mind you, I mean, right off the bat, the first time you meet him, it feels rapey without even actually raping her. Oh yeah, it's the way he's invading her personal space. I, I want, I just wanted to punch him in the fucking dick. And within five minutes of meeting him,
1: yeah, he's following her way too close, and he's negging her. The whole time, because he's saying, you know, you could be a model. You, you'd have to lose a bit of that tummy and other seductive byplay. So naturally, Indeed. naturally, they wind up in the sauna where uh, Carlo strips her naked over her protests and then photographs her. Then they have sex. So here's the first important lesson I gleaned from this movie. When you're in the sauna, always sit on a towel because people have perspired on that bench and Italians have fucked on it.
0: Not to mention, if you're going to sleep with the random chick that you've just met in the spa, make sure your girlfriend or the woman that you were planning on sleeping with isn't in the same spot.
1: Yeah, because when she walks in and gets a little bit shirty about it, he, he's, he is so contemptuous. It's like, hey, can not you
0: see I'm busy here? Leave me alone. I'll talk to you later. But we were, suppo- we were supposed to meet an hour ago. I don't care. I'm banging this chick now. Go away. I thought, fuck you.
1: This is our hero, by the way.
0: This is our hero. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm so happy to know this man.
1: And we'll get to know him much better, but uh, he himself will not get any better. So cut to Albatross Photo Studio and Modeling Agency. Their slogan, <laughs> when you when you think of Albatross, think of fashion. Not that dead, rotting bird carcass hanging around an old sailor's neck.
0: <laughs> Little joke Albatross! For our- yeah, Oh, that's Ross.
1: Little joke for the poetry fans. Carlo introduces the redhead Lucia to the rest of our pre-corpse cast. Let me see if I get them all. There, uh, there's a photographer's assistant named Magda, who's played by Italian sex comedy star Edwitch Fennec. She's our leading lady. There's a sort of dead-eyed blonde model named Patrizia. There's the middle-aged, very gay Mario and the head of the agency, Gisela, and her obese and hirsute husband, Maurizio, who slobbers over Lucia and wonders aloud if she puts out. By the way, rest assured, I am not mentioning his weight in order to fat shame him. It's a plot point. It comes up later in the movie. They kind of make a big deal out of it. Maurizio, by the way, is played by the same Italian actor who was eaten by the giant octopus in Tentacles after suddenly deciding he was Mexican.
0: Seriously? Yes. Now I'm going to have to go relook at Tentacles. Yeah. Oh, wow.
1: By the way, if you'd like to check out Tentacles, uh, follow the link on our site to World of oh Crap. Click on the Better Living Through Bad Movies tab and that'll take you straight to our treatment of that 1977 Italian Jaws ripoff, which features several Hollywood legends in their decaying and a climax involving rather intimate and fetishy hillbilly on giant octopus action. Anyway, it turns out that Maurizio is trying to date all the models, even though his wife runs the place. His wife is also
0: screwing all them.
1: Yeah, you don't get the sense that they, oh, well, we we find out for a fact that the two of them are not sleeping together. She's a lesbian. He's, uh, well, we'll get to what he is, but, uh, he, uh, and if I can get a screen cap of what he is, there's there's one defining moment, one particular image that will haunt me for the rest of my life. And it has nothing to do with the murder. It's pre-murder. Believe me. But it's way more disturbing than any death.
0: I think I know exactly what shot you're talking about. Yeah. Scott. Yeah. I know. I know. So oh, it's uh, sad that I get it, but I yeah. get it.
1: So he takes uh, Patrizia to uh, a nightclub where two girls are really incompetently faking sex with each other. I mean, they're really bad at it. They look like they were kicked out of mime school. And Patrizia says, yeah, this is great, but I got to get up early and go be a model. And she leaves. So
0: I I do got I do have to interrupt here real fast. I do got to say that. I hate using this, but I am going to say it. Both the abortion scene and the scene in the club have got the, and this was pre Suspiria, mind you, but they have the Dario Argento-like Suspiria color palette because the abortion is done in very blue mm-hmm. and the club scene is done in red. Yep. And I thought, okay, this at least looks interesting. And I was hoping, I was really genuinely hoping that there would be more lighting like that because I thought, okay, at least it'll have me something interesting to look at. Since there's nothing at all, like I, I, I don't like anybody. I don't care what's happening. At least, at least make it look pretty. But no, just basically those two shots.
1: Yeah, it's it's a film that is remarkably devoid of any kind of visual style. It's competently shot. I mean, the things you they want to draw your
0: attention to are in the frame. I'll give it that. <laughs> but those two sequences lit wise I'm like okay this is actually kind of interesting yeah you, you think you' from a get, visual standpoint
1: you think you're gonna get if nothing else you'll get something interesting to look at but uh, apparently that that was all the director had in his pants and he shot his wad and that was it so from now on much
0: much like matrizio whatever the hell his name was well we'll get to that
1: <laughs> well uh Maurizio is striking out at, at the nightclub. Magda walks in on Carlo in the dark room and strips nude for him. But since she got top billing, he's probably not her killer. You can be pretty confident of that because it's way early in the movie. Now, she wants to be a model suddenly. But Carlo sensibly points out that she'll have a longer career as a photographer since fashion models are washed up in a few years. And she realizes this is sensible advice. So naturally, she gives him a blowjob. And apparently it was a very funny blowjob, a very witty blowjob, because they stumble out of the Albatross studio just laughing it up. Like, I can't believe you used your ear or whatever it was. Something went on, you know, after they cut away. (laughs) But it was apparently a hilarious bout of oral sex. So they stumble to her car, and she's in a really narrow alley, so she parked two wheels up on the curb to create space, and he says, Oh, is this your car? Typical woman parker. Yep. That's just the throwaway line. That's That, that has nothing to do with it. It's not like, oh, she's parked against a wall, so they can't get into the car quickly when they're f- and they're trying to flee a, the murderer. No, he's just being a sexist dickhead. That's his character. Yep. He goes with it, and he takes every opportunity to establish it and then reinforce it. So our hero. Yes. Kudos for consistency. Now here is where we get one of the classic giallo tropes, which is a masked killer, a killer shot from behind and all we see are the the gloved hands and a killer who apparently has asthma because a lot of them are very heavy breathing. So after they leave the studio, very gay Mario, sneaks into the dark room and makes a print of a photograph which features all of our characters, plus the girl who died during the abortion, whose name is Evelyn, and a male and a female model that we'll meet shortly. And then he goes home and on the way, he's stalked by a figure wearing head-to-toe black leather and a black motorcycle helmet and breathing like Darth Vader, two years before Darth Vader.
0: Wait, wait, real fast, Scott, you forgot by this point the doctor is already dead.
1: I did forget that. During Doctor the gets picture.
0: killed before gay Mario. Yeah.
1: You're right. I completely forgot about that.
0: And, and rightly so. What a shocker. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yes, understand there's already been one murder here.
1: Here's what kind of baffles me. Usually in a movie where a girl died in a botched abortion, that would be a secret. And then a series of people would get killed as the killer was working toward the doctor who actually botched the abortion. It, like in an American movie, he would be the last to die, but he's the first to die and no, and nobody knows him. All the subsequent characters are friends or at least co-workers. So it's a little weird why the killer keeps going after they've exacted uh, their ultimate vengeance. I mean, it's like, it's like starting a video game with the end boss and then fighting your way back toward the tutorial. It's like, okay, mission accomplished. Get on with your life, but... uh apparently not anyway whoever is wearing the, the motorcycle helmet and the fetish gear Mario knows and likes because he welcomes this person into his apartment but he does he gets a little freaked out when they spill his whiskey and then stab him to death
0: I gotta tell you it was the whiskey that made me laugh did it because oh i lost my shit at that scene the unknown person goes over and starts pouring whiskey we get a close-up of mario and then mario turns to the camera and gets a look on his face like he is seeing he just saw the baby raping scene from a serbian film <laughs> and then says you're spilling my whiskey so the look on his face i honestly thought he was about to get stabbed right then and there because it's just such pure horror and terror and then it cuts to her just pouring the person i i was going to say it. You can tell the killer is a woman.
1: You're right. The, the, that's. The, I'm glad you said that. It's a tremendous relief because I have been sitting here going, all right, watch your pronouns, Scott. Which, you know, ordinarily is something you only have to do when you're on Twitter. It's a woman. They make a feeble attempt to hide it's a woman. You that's, can tell right off the bat. And that's another jello trope, which is something that uh, Brian De Palma referenced in Dress to Kill. We're playing with uh, sex yeah. roles. And, so the killer's a woman. They'd like it if you didn't know. But we're going to spoil that. So the next morning, Patrizia comes by to pick Mario up and she finds him pantsless and dead and bloody and she faints. And this is the point in the film that introduces our cop characters. There's three of them. They're they're all fucking useless. They do nothing. They get nowhere near the solution of the murder, and I'm going to ignore them.
0: Hang on. Before we ignore them, there is one that I do want to mention talking about unsavory characters here. We have our lead cop, who's basically just a stupid dickhead. And then we have the heavyset cop who spends his entire introduction staring lasciviously at a woman sitting in a chair. Uh, At Lucia that yeah, Lucia for like, literally for, like the whole look like, for five minutes this five minute dialogue scene where um, Lucia, where the the, the the woman who owns the um, albatross agency is talking to the dickhead cop we see overweight balding cop just staring at this woman and the camera moves in ever so closer to her her slightly open shirt and she's not wearing a bra so the side of her breasts can be plainly seen and she's wearing short short skirt and the camera moves ever so closer into her crotch as we see him get a lascivious look on his face, and it just made me want to fucking vomit.
1: You make a good point. The actress who who played Lucia is attractive, but I have never ever wanted less to be somebody's point of view.
0: It felt dirty and creepy, and it, and it felt like we were watching the uncle that you don't invite to to, to family reunions anymore. <laughs>
1: Meanwhile, in the studio, everybody's on edge. I guess because of the murder. Uh, Carlo and Magda are doing a photo shoot with the other couple from the stolen photograph, uh, Stefano and Doris. Now, Stefano is a tall, skinny, hairy guy with an amazing porn stash. Not quite Tom Selleck, more like Tom Selleck if he were an appetizer at the Olive Garden.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Doris doesn't really look like a fashion model, but really none of the girls do, and and as we'll find out, she's got a big heart. <laughs> Oh, I, I will I will say one last thing about the cops, because this made me laugh, because of what it said about Italian society in the mid-70s. They spent a whole lot of this interview with Gisella dancing around the question of whether Very Gay Mario was very gay or just a little gay. Oh, that... And it makes the cops... Yeah, that... Yeah, It makes the cops hilariously uncomfortable. So fresh from her police interrogation about her murdered employee, Gisella takes Lucia back to her uh, house, love nest whatever it is, and has implied angry sex with her. I say implied because while Lucia is stark naked, Gisella is fully clothed and angry. Gisella, we find out, is really possessive and doesn't like the models she sleeps with to have sex with Carlo. Uh, although she doesn't care that her husband takes him to live sex shows. You know what? Actually... Thinking about Gisella and Maurizio, I would be okay if they just dropped the serial killer plot at this point and the rest of the movie was just us listening to Gisella and Maurizio's couples counseling sessions because they have some issues.
0: <laughs> I have no desire to see any issues with characters explored. All right. All right. So uh, Gisella interrupts. And the... you
1: know why. I know why. I know why. Gisella interrupts the sex with Lucia because she has a business dinner to get to. And demands that Lucia stay there, Uh, stay naked, too, apparently. And so she leaves, and Lucia wanders nude around the house, getting startled and terrified by things like carpet fuzz and the sink. Finally, Helmet Head, who's been watching, says, well, she stripped nude. She must be expecting me to kill her. Uh, So she does. And I got to say, the most cheerful thing in this movie is the color of the blood. It is a brilliant, bright, bright red. It's a happy red. It's a happy red. It's a happy red. It's the happiest blood I've ever seen. (laughs) Oh, speaking of unpleasant characters being unpleasant. The next morning, Magda wakes up with Carlo. And they've spent a night together after their hilarious blowjob. And she's fussing over him. And she's serving him breakfast and coffee in bed while he does uh, nude headstands. And... uh, acts like a sexist jerk. But uh, the morning paper tells him that Lucia is dead, uh, killed in the very same way that very gay Mario was. And Magda remembers that Carlo brought Lucia to the studio. She says, hey, how did you know that girl? But he convinces her of his innocence by wrapping his hands around her throat and strangling her only half to death. Our
0: hero, ladies and gentlemen, our hero. Oh, (laughs) okay.
1: This was the high or the low point of the film For me, it was actually both. Doris is walking to the studio. Maurizio pulls up and insists on giving her a ride. He takes her on a Mr. Toad's wild ride, scaring her to death for no good reason. Oh,
0: no, there's a good reason because he wants her to sleep with him. His seduction technique needs work. Begging and pleading. Please, 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 just sleep with me a little. Sleep with me a little. Please, please, please. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He wants to seduce her in the house where a woman was murdered the previous night i mean i'm assuming there's still stains on the carpet i uh, hope they've removed the body but apparently doris doesn't know this is where lucia died but she does know the house she's apparently had sex there with gisella too offers officer half a million lira to have sex with him and she says well i'm not a prostitute no thank you so he throws her on the couch and she knees him in the groin like you do and then he freaks out and threatens to beat her brains out with a glass sculpture and so doris basically just throws up her hands and says fine Let's get it over with pretty much what you said when we started this segment. She had a a very similar fatalistic attitude. So he strips down to his baggy briefs. He crawls on top of Doris and then bursts into tears when he can't get an erection.
0: Wait, hang on, hang on real fast. Okay, it was because he couldn't get he couldn't get it up. I thought it was premature ejaculation.
1: No, no, I thought so, too. But I I rebounded and watched it a couple. He couldn't get it up. It seemed like premature ejaculation because it happened so fast. Right. She's saying, no, no, you can do it. It you can, she's encouraged, he can't,
0: Mm. and then he starts bawling like a three year old baby who can't poop.
1: I have the quote here
0: Oh boy, oh you oh Scott, oh no, oh strap in, boys and girls, this is an e ticket line. Go ahead, Scott.
1: As I said, this is why Doris is like the one decent person in this because she's way nicer about this whole thing than she needs to be. Not only forgiving him for throwing her on the couch, but I mean, maybe she's just so relieved it's not going to happen. But she's way nicer about it than she ought to be, assuring him that, no, no, you'll get a boner one day. And he's laying there on the sofa in his baggy briefs, sobbing, saying, I've never made it with a girl. No one. My mother told me I would, but I haven't. (laughs) Not yet. And Dora says, You will someday. Now come button up the back of my dress. And she's she's just beaming at this point. Huge smile on her face. It's like, oh, I dodged that bullet.
0: I See, that. I can laugh about this now. Now, I do. I, us talking about it, it's funny. But in the moment, dude, I swear to God, I was like, it really? Was yeah. Fuck you, movie.
1: Yeah. The only reason I can laugh about it now is because, I, like I said, I rewatched it a couple of times to try to get the dialogue down because that's... I, I didn't actually believe I was hearing what I was hearing. Right. It's really unnecessary, but but they're not done yet. Uh, so she gets her clothes back on and uh, Maurizio feels bad and tries to give her the money anyway, even though they didn't have sex, but she she won't take it. Like I said, she's got a big heart, which we'll see later when she's disemboweled. Okay. So Doris leaves, makes makes uh-huh. good her escape, I should say. And here we come to a scene that I have to wonder whether this was the whole reason the movie was made and the director had some serious issues to work out or whether he thought it was funny. I don't really know. But Maurizio walks into the other room and pulls a half deflated love doll out of a dresser moaning, you're the only one who can make it happen. The only one. Yep. And he's sobbing and yep. blowing her up. But then he hears water running and wanders around the house in his underpants, cradling a limp sex doll in a sequence which I'm pretty sure officially makes him the most fucking pathetic character in movie history. At least that's what they were going for.
0: I would agree with that. I would definitely I would definitely agree with that. I completely forgot about the blow-up doll until you were just about to mention I'm like, oh, God, I forgot about that. That's coming next. Ugh.
1: And he was he was carrying it when he died, so he he's found with it. Like a yep. list of things you 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 wouldn't be caught dead with. So, anyway. yep. So he gets stabbed <laughs> and mutilated, as you would anticipate. And there's more plot, more cops, and nobody cares. The next really significant thing that happens is Gisella gets a call from a blackmailer telling her to bring 10 million lira to an underpass at midnight, or the police will find out that she was banging. Uh, The dead model. Meanwhile, in between the sex scenes with Carlo and all the nude stripping, Magda is starting to put the pieces together. She figured out that the um, killer is probably someone they know. She tells Carlo Carlo follows Gisela to meet her blackmailer and he takes infrared photographs, inadvertently catching Gisela's murder. Carlo goes back to the Albatross agency to develop the photo, but there's someone waiting for him in a car, so he throws the film into a garbage can in the alley, then tries to make his escape on foot, which, you know, sounds stupid. How can anybody think they can outrun a car? But it kind of makes sense in this movie because the killer is driving a 1969 Fiat 124, and even my grandmother could outrun that piece of shit. Cut to a hospital where Carlo is having his eyebrows stitched back onto his face. And this is my favorite part of his performance because he was hurt. And not talking.
0: Yes, that was an enjoyable couple of seconds. Yes, I kind of wish he'd been hurt more, but that's just me.
1: I thought he was going to be killed. I was very disappointed.
0: I knew he wasn't going to be killed because he was our hero, and he's as much of a slime fucking slime ball as he is. I knew he would survive because he's our hero. You know what? I was in denial. I understand, but just remember, I, I'm much more of a pessimist than you are.
1: And that's saying something. Uh... <laughs> I was frankly thinking, isn't Magda the star? I mean, she got top billing. She's the one figuring things out and not being a total dick to everybody. But whenever is around, she turns very passive. It's really frustrating. When she's alone, she's perfectly competent. But you notice when she's with him, some of his contemptibility kind of rubs off on her just because she puts up with it. Maybe that's unfair. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: All right. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait, real fast. I I have to throw this in because the characters were barely useful in the movie anyway. But the other two models also get killed. Oh. And the fun thing, you know, what's his name? A porn staff Uh, guy uh, also gets killed.
1: Well, yeah. Let's not talk about this quite yet because this includes an actual spoiler.
0: Oh, you're, yeah, that's true. Okay, okay. you're right. Go Wait, on. He calls Magda from the
1: hospital and says, hey, I threw some film into the garbage in the alley. Can you develop it? And here's something that was kind of peculiar. At at the one hour, nine minute mark, our heroine suddenly turns into a klutz and can't manage to pull her penwa over her head without a struggle. I, I assumed that this was just so we could get a few seconds of her breasts jiggling on the big screen because it, it's been been a few minutes since anyone was nude. But it's a little weird that she goes from figuring out clues that have eluded the police like a kittenish Sherlock Holmes to, I can't operate my lingerie. It's a little inconsistent.
0: <laughs> Wait, inconsistency in this movie, who'd have thunk it? <laughs>
1: Uh, Oh, and then she goes outside and drops her purse and spills everything all over the (laughs) sidewalk. I think the point of that was to give Helmet Head almost but not quite enough time to catch up to her, but I don't know. She goes to the studio and gets out of the car and leaves her headlights burning. And for once in this movie, that's not a
0: euphemism. Um, (laughs) Bravo, Scott. That was good. Thank you.
1: Then she goes into the dark room. And develops film in her huge fur coat. Now, full disclosure, (laughs) I was just an amateur photographer when I was younger. But when working around smelly, hazardous chemicals that stain everything they touch, I did like to swan around the darkroom in my chinchilla bed jacket.
0: And I bet you looked amazing in that bed jacket.
1: Damn right. I did. (laughs) Magna who, as we said, is alternately smart and incredibly dumb and useless, rolls the dice and lands on useless and asks, <laughs> asks the brain damaged guy in the hospital what she should do. And uh, he tells her there's a revolver in the locker under some papers, which seems kind of careless, but explains why this not terribly great movie did get a five star rating from the NRA. <laughs> so Magda walks Slowly out of the office because taking this is this is the time to take your time. Uh, and she knocks over the table and she makes herself scream, which makes me think maybe she's the one with the brain injury, not Carlo, because she's getting stupider by the second. She does get the gun, though. So we get a long drawn out cat and mouse game while Magda slinks through the dark studio while Carlo is on the phone listening to her knock things over and scream. It's uh, it's a justly famous and gripping sequence. But, so
0: gripping, yeah, so so gripping.
1: Oh, and then here's something that was unexpected. I have to say, I thought Helmet Head would come at her out of the dark or something. No, she bursts through a gigantic wall-sized poster like evil can evil. It it was <laughs> it was just an odd directorial choice. Um, but that's the thing that makes Carlo decide to get out of bed. Uh, And get back to the studio in time for the climax, or he's going to be completely irrelevant. And, oh, by the way, when he throws off the sheets, he's not wearing a gown or anything. So I guess this is one of those
0: European nudist hospitals. (laughs) They were big back in the 70s. Sure, I understand.
1: It's part of our tradition. We like to go topless on the beach, and we like to
0: free-ball it here in ICU. Free ballin' in the ICU. That's a country song. <laughs> Free ballin'
1: in the ICU. Hang on, I gotta I got get on the phone to Reba McIntyre. <laughs> so, Helmet Head, after bursting through this poster...
0: I, You're caring way too much about this, Scott.
1: I am, because we, we don't know what happened to Megan at all, but since we've seen... Everyone else get brutally murdered. It seems unlikely that the leading lady is going to get saddled with the one off-camera snuffing. So I was pretty sure she wasn't dead. Right. Oh, you mentioned the, the other model. So cut to Doris, who's watching the news report about the serial killings and learns that Gisela, the irritable lesbian, and her impotent husband have been murdered. No word on the fate of the half-deflated sex doll. So appetizer Tom Selleck comes in and snaps off the TV, and he looks pissed. So to calm him down, she takes off her clothes and... And tells him that Maurizio uh, took her to his house and tried to uh, rape her with his spaghetti-pushing penis. But uh, Appetizer Tom doesn't look appeased. His eyes are aflame with rage. And his mustache looks ready to jump off his face and strangle her. It's just twitching. Now, (laughs) at this point, I'm worried for Doris. She's been nothing but nice to everybody. Because she stripped. But she hasn't stripped nude. So maybe Tom's not the killer? But we don't know. We don't know yet.
0: Yes, we do. Yes, we know. All because right. Not, because we know the killer's a woman. We know it's not Tom. All right.
1: I was trying to give it the benefit. You're right. It doesn't deserve the benefit.
0: Okay, fine. No, there is the benefit of a doubt in this, this scene. This we is, know it's Tom's just an asshole. He's not a killer. Right. The whole
1: point of the scene basically is to just show another man being needlessly, pointlessly, unmotivatedly abusive to a woman because that's the film's theme. Apparently, even though I have to say this is one of the most misogynist movies I've ever seen, even though the killer is a woman. It wears its hate for the ladies on both sleeves. Yep. It also doesn't like fat guys who can't get it up.
0: (laughs) But mostly it hates women. Oh,
1: mostly. Oh, mostly. So we cut back to the studio, which must we? I guess we must. So Carlo and his subdural hematoma arrive, but Magda's missing. But the prints that Magda was making are just coming out of the dryer. And he sees the killer is Appetizer Tom, who, you know, I got to say, except for the, the scene where he was introduced and the scene where he was being a dick to Doris, he hasn't been in the movie much. And it's kind of a letdown that it's trying to tell us he's the killer. It's depressing, but I'm not going to let it affect my self-esteem or anything. I'm I'm better good. than
0: that. Good, good.
1: So we cut back to, to Doris and Tom. He slaps her. She falls in the bed and cries. I can't stand any more beatings. Why do you treat me this way? While he's taking off his sports coat in the most sinister way possible, she says, you know I'm your girl. I've done everything you ever asked, even things I never thought anyone would ask me to do.
0: I'm holding back vomit right now, Scott, just so you know. As you're reciting that dialogue, I'm holding back vomit. Our,
1: Our listeners, and I'm sure your microphone appreciate that. But wait, you know what comes now? You know, you know what comes out now. now comes the twist bum, outside, bum, bum. outside helmet head has just arrived while inside Tom is stripped to the waist but his pants are still on so he might not get killed he might just get maimed so Doris is in the bedroom kind of still cowering and Tom goes out into the darkened living room to investigate and there's a crash and he screams and kind of some funny sound effects for a guy who's getting killed and uh, Doris comes out to find him stripped nude and stabbed to death and uh, you know since I doubt he saw the killer's knife and said, wait, wait, let me just slip my pants off first. He didn't actually strip nude for his killer. His killer stripped him nude. So there's the twist.
0: Absolutely. And I do have to say this murder did give me the one bright shining moment in this entire film, finding out that the killer removed his penis.
1: Well, I got to say the special effects aren't that clear the killer either removed his penis and testicles or covered his groin in a zesty marinara sauce
0: either or i'm going for removed the penis and testicles only because that's the only bright spot that i can find in this of a film so i'm going to enjoy that at least one misogynist dickhead got what was coming to him
1: you're right we should look on the bright side i'm going to follow your example by the way you're you're a lousy pessimist
0: um, I know that, but in this case, in this case, oh no, no, he got he got his wang whacked off, and I am happier for it. He
1: he deserved it after terrifying Doris. Doris gets stabbed too, and and if Doris herself is anything to go by, here's the second thing I I learned from this movie: after a violent murder, rigor mortis hits the nipples first. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you stole one of my life lessons, Scott. Oh. Sorry. (laughs) No, that's just the way I think now. It makes me happy happy that you thought that, too.
1: (laughs) So uh, (laughs) Helmet Head drives away just as Carlo comes sprinting up. Why he ran from the photo studio, I don't know. But he's panting and sweaty and like he just completed a triathlon. Swim 1,500 meters, sustain a closed head injury, run a 10K. And uh, he finds the body. Strangle a woman. Strangle a woman you know, to reassure her. And in the house, along with the bodies, he finds Magda unconscious on the sofa, holding a bloody switchblade. And he tells her that Tom was in the photo she developed, but here's here's another twist. Carlos says Tom was just the blackmailer. The killer actually attacked Gisela from behind while wearing a motorcycle outfit. The same killer he saw leaving Doris and Tom's place. Now, when we actually see the scene where Gisela gets attacked, it's really darkly lit. And I never saw Giselle get killed, so this is all new information to me. Even though he's describing a scene that I watched, I feel like this is a failure on the movie's part.
0: That, <laughs> but whatever. Wait, you're, you're you're calling this just this a failure on the movie's part? Um, <clears throat> I'm i uh, I'm trying to be.
1: You know what? You're right. Why am I even bothering? There. <laughs> Anywhere you reach in this film, you're going to pick a net. But it, that just bugged me for some reason. So anyway, Magda remembers the sound of running water. And we probably should have mentioned this earlier. But a split second before every murder, the movie cuts to a shot of the tap running in the abortion victim's tub.
0: Oh, that's right. I forgot about that because I didn't care. <laughs> it's amazing the effect that has on one's memory. It's either... So, I'm telling you, man, it's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing.
1: Yes, two things affect short-term memory: marijuana use and indifference. <laughs> so when he, when she says I heard running water, Carlo snaps his fingers. Yes, of course, he's solved the case. I don't believe it, but he'd like us to. So Carlo drives Magda to some place we've never seen before, inside this building. The Unseen Killer takes a sword from one of many suits of armor. So I assume it's Hogwarts. It's hard to tell. (laughs) Carlos sees inside. Carlos sees a photograph of two girls in unitards. And it's a big deal. He really reacts big to it. But before we can see what all the fuss is about, he gets smacked in his already damaged skull with a sword and falls down. Honestly, this guy has gotten more closed head injuries in one movie than Mike Connors did in all eight seasons
0: of Maddox. They can't kill him. They can't. No, they can just whack him out the head repeatedly. I mean, I'm not saying it's not satisfying.
1: I'm not saying he doesn't have it coming.
0: It's not. I am. I am. It's not satisfying. The guy should should have been killed. It should have been Magda's story. Just period. That this that might have actually saved this film for me if she would have been the only main character. I agree. If this guy would have been killed like an hour in, you know, or even forty five minutes in, I'd have gone, okay, main asshole's dead. This cool. This chick is on uh, on the main character now. All right, a little better. But no, this asshole survives to the end, and oh god. We'll you're, get to that. Go yes. on. I'm sorry. You're, you're you're absolutely right. No, you. Oh, you, I hate the fucking oh the fucking ending.
1: You've made the key point. I think um, the thing that really kills me about this movie, and, and we'll, we'll get to exactly why. But Carlo is the last person who should be solving this murder or catching this killer because he's implicated in the the original victim's death. Or at least the cover-up. He helped the abortion doctor hide the body or move the body. He doesn't have clean hands in this. Magda had nothing to do with the girl's death. She's an innocent victim. And if you're right, if Carlo got what was coming to him 45 minutes into the movie or whatever, then Magda would not have to have been alternately switching between smart and stupid. She could have been smart the whole way through. She wouldn't have had to get dumb just to give Carlo something to do. You put your finger on the keyboard. If they had just, if they had done that, I actually might've liked parts of this movie. All right, that's going too far, but it would have been better.
0: It would have been, it would have been, it would have been better Yeah. But anyway, let's get to this
1: fucking okay. ending. All right. So despite his, his second disabling head injury of the film, Carlo hears, Mag- <laughs> Carlo hears Magda screaming and he stumbles outside and finds Helmet Head strangling her. But, uh, you know, but actually not strangling her very effectively since she's screaming just fine and seems to have plenty of air to work with. Remember, she's used
0: to being strangled.
1: <laughs> and seems to enjoy it. So um, so there you go. She's okay. All right. So Carlos saves her. And I'm sorry, folks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry this asshole is our hero. I thought he was, he's going to die in this room and Magda's going to catch the killer. But it's not that kind of movie. Women can't, apparently can't do that in in this director's universe. So he saves Magda and then he chases the killer. They tussle and he punches the killer barehanded right in the helmet. And despite the fact that it's supposed to protect you from face and head injuries, that's all it takes. The killer just falls down the stairs. So here's a message for the killer. I know you're a vile multiple murderer, but I do think you've got decent grounds for a class action suit against your helmet manufacturer. I will be (laughs) I'll be happy to be a character witness. So uh, he pulls off the defective helmet and reveals the killer is. Do you want to
0: say? Oh, no, you go right ahead. I I don't care. I just don't care.
1: Okay, it's Patrizia who's been in two scenes in the movie. And yep. Oh, and the, the dead girl was Patrizia's sister. So there's your motive. So we cut to Magda's apartment as she strips, obviously not for her killer, because it's too late. <laughs> Carlo explains the Patricia her relationship to the victim. She says they were sisters, but more than sisters, if you know what I
0: mean. Bound a wow wow.
1: The sister, quote, got herself knocked up, had an abortion, but died of cardiac collapse which I guess means she shouldn't have had her abortion provided by a civil engineer. Probably should have gotten to a doctor. <laughs>
0: um, oh, wait, we're not done yet. We're oh, no, we not done yet. The Car- best part of the whole fucking film.
1: He's coming on to her and Magda is flabbergasted that he's attempting foreplay and says, what are you being careful? Don't worry. I'm on the pill, honey. And he flips her over like he's Marlon Brando and last tango in Paris asking for the butter. Magda says she won't bring him the butter. But Carlo assures her he's just joking about buggering her comical freeze frame like the end of a 70s sitcom. Roll credits.
0: Let us not forget that not only do we have not only do we end the serial killer film with an anal sex joke, but Carlo fucking gets away with it. His connection to the murder is completely just dropped. No one knows. Right. I mean, the only good
1: thing he does, I guess, is punch the killer in the head but yeah he punches
0: a woman yeah he
1: punches a woman that's that's the most honorable thing he does in the film that's the best thing he does
0: why does this guy care i think it's self-defense and self-interest personally that is what my thought was but then of course i hate every single thing about this movie so there you go
1: yeah so when i said that there were two people i was okay with i liked doris they went out of their way to paint her as a nice person and i liked magna when she wasn't being stupid she was moving the plot along she was figuring stuff out and anyone who moved this plot along and got me closer to the end of the movie was my friend.
0: I, okay, that's acceptable. That is acceptable.
1: But then Carlo would show
0: up and she'd get stupid again, and, and I would kind of hate her. Well, because because let's not forget, women can't survive without their men. <clears throat> they can't have intellectual thoughts or accomplish anything unless their, their, their abusive asshole guy is near them.
1: According to Strip Nude for Your Killer, that is the movie's thesis statement. You've boiled it down beautifully.
0: Yep, 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 yep. Women are subservient and and not at all, you know, on the same level, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for, evolutionarily as men. Men are better than women. That's pretty much what this movie says. Now, granted, this was the 70s and this was Italy, so I guess that would be the a reoccurring theme maybe. I don't know. I know this was prevalent back then, but still, this, I have never seen a film, like you said earlier, I have never seen a film this misogynistic. Now, I'm actually kind of afraid to dive into Giallo now, because I'm afraid they are all going to be fucking like this.
1: Yeah, I wonder about that, too, because I haven't seen many of them. I'm, I've am i read more about them than I've actually seen. And I thought, well, you know, we'll jump in, and, and if, if it turns out to be something we like, maybe we can watch another one down there. I don't, I'm not eager to see any more. No. I, no. I know there's better ones. I know there are ones that actually have good reputations, and were made by well thought of directors, but uh.
0: no, this what this, this did you yeah. I think that it wasn't even the anal sex joke at the end that 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 made me want to destroy my phone because I was watching it on my phone. What really what really got me was the fact that that this asshole got away with everything. Yes, he abuses his girlfriend. He helps he helps cover up a a death, a and he fucking gets away scott clean and, and comes out a hero
1: because he he caught the murderer
0: yes yeah, yeah, so j- j- oh my god i hated this movie so much
1: you know it's funny because the slasher movies of the 80s clearly took a lot of their inspiration from these movies the,
0: who made- sexuality they come on the american slasher movies were all anti-sex this movie is not oh this movie's not at anti-sex
1: at all no no They have talked about how the slasher films of the 80s were very anti-sex and because women are always the victims, they are misogynistic. You could absolutely make that claim. But I can't think of an American slasher movie where just hatred and contempt for women rolls off the screen. Like it did in I almost either. every scene of this movie. I mean, and also a, a bit of hate for gay people.
0: That that you can see. Let's be honest. That you can see in some that, of the films yes, back then. Yes, yes, you can. But I'm just saying it's it's. But it's, not for women. Not I. I've never. I have never seen a horror film. Well, I, I take that back. I've never seen a um, American horror film that was like released in the theater. There's been some low budget pieces of shit that have been this misogynistic.
1: Yeah, because it, we, the lower the budget, the, the more director can work out his little personal demons.
0: But- exactly, but but for like a, an actual like theatrical release, and this was shown in the theaters. I know this was shown in the theaters uh, for like a mainstream theatrical release. I, I cannot. And if you guys out there can think of an American movie that is so anti that, that hates women as much as this film obviously did, let us know so we can ignore it. Yes, please. I would appreciate the warning because this is just ah uh, the whole movie. I'm like, how is this? How who who are these people? How could they put such ugly? This is ugh. I mean, I've seen some films that had some that that were ugly, but this is just ugly on so many levels. I I I, I wanted to wash and not in a good way. I've said before, you know, if, uh, sometimes a, if a horror film makes me want to wash afterwards, it's done its job. Yes. This did not make me want to wash because it made me uncomfortable. This film made me want to wash because everything about it was just... Ugh.
1: Sometimes when a movie is this morally contemptible, if it's something you're watching by choice, you can snap it off. When it's something we're watching for the show, we got to stick with it. But I, I, I you, know, you can allow it to unspool and not feel complicit. But because they insisted that Carlo was our hero, an anti-hero, granted but that we were supposed to find him roguish and be on his side because if nothing else, following his adventures means we'll see boobs. I did feel dirtied. It was alternately hilarious because it was was filled with so many cliches. And, and part of that's because it was made late in the lifespan of the genre. But part of it is simply that it wasn't content to be about what these movies are ordinarily about. Here are the tropes. We will deliver them with mild variations enough to justify you buying a ticket. This felt like the people who were making it were as bad as the characters they were depicting. Not like they were making a point about society by presenting these horrifying, ugly people. They wanted us to sympathize with. Laugh along with, cheer for these characters, and if that was yep. the case, give us at least one person—a decent individual—working their way through the story. Person, Which,
0: like we said, but she had no agency. If what's her face? If he had died and Magna became the main character, stop being an idiot. We would have had that, and I would have gone, okay, at least we have one interesting character. The final girl would have been a good final girl. Exactly. She didn't even she get to be the, the final she used girl. Use the horror trope. No,
1: she didn't. She wasn't even there when the killer got caught.
0: Let, let's get into fascinating, irritating, because I want to stop talking about this piece of shit. All right. So you have some
1: lessons you've learned. I'm interested to hear them.
0: Oh, 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 yes. Uh, well, you already you already gave the one, um, which is of course that rigor mortis strikes in a first. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, the other thing, the other thing that I learned is that you hate me.
1: i can't believe that was a surprise at this point
0: you know i should have known better but this just proved it and the the other thing the other thing that i learned this is important for me is that i do not care what anybody says to me i don't care if someone says this is a phenomenal movie i don't care that if somebody says you're going to love this character i am never going to watch another giallo okay if it is an italian if it is if it is an italian film from the 70s i don't even care if it's a fucking argento film this film destroyed a genre for me so i have learned that one film can destroy an entire genre for me i will never watch another film because of that I, I'm very impressed with that. that. That that one film was able to destroy any interest that I had in an entire film genre.
1: That is impressive, and and we probably should learn the lesson that granted the point of this is to go in knowing as little about a movie as possible, but we we probably shouldn't pick movies just because the titles
0: are funny. Actually, but, I don't. You know, in a, way, in a way, I I I'm kind of on with you on that, but then I'm also not only because this. This made for a hell of a discussion. True. It, it, it really did. I mean, much much like the the, the the other evil one, the worst ones seem to be the most, uh, honestly, sometimes the most interesting to talk about. And I do have to say, after watching it, this was very nice to vent. It was almost like me and Mrs. C doing our Star Wars holiday special. Ha! But, uh, no, I mean, this, this actually, like, it's, I... I'm glad I watched it and only because it was a genre that I have never seen but really gotten into before. And so the movie lover in me was I can say now I've scratched that off and I will never watch another one. So I can scratch that off too. that genre is dead to me now, which is a cool thing.
1: Yeah, it's also kind of a sad thing. Uh, But you know what? You that's you, you take a risk going in if the object of this had been to find a good solid example of it. And now that I think about it, maybe that would have been the best way to go about it. Maybe I should have done some research, found a list of giallos that were well thought of and actually select see a
0: great movie. You want to see a great movie, Scott? Let me give you a giallo that I actually think is a great film. Okay. Because it is a giallo. It's Dario Argento's Opera.
1: Oh really? That was made in the 80s? Was it? Or 90s? Yes.
0: It was in the 90s. It was his return to Giallo after doing his uh, two of the three. It was after Suspiria and Inferno. He kind of went back and it was Giallo roots. Because it started out with like Cat of Nine, Tails, Deep Red, were all very based in Giallo. And Deep Red is what started his more supernatural things. Mm Mm-hmm because that had a mild supernatural overtone to it. But opera basically returned, it's a a full-blown slasher film place in an opera house where they're doing Macbeth. And it's actually a very well-met. Now, granted, I have not watched it in a long time, but I remember when the was over thinking, this was a really cool movie. So uh, that one, I, that one, I would say, if you can find it, it might actually might be like a palate cleanser for the genre. I still won't watch another. I might have to rewatch that just to wipe the stink from this one from my mind.
1: Okay, I I, I will look for that. They can't all be like.
0: They can't. I don't. I don't want. I don't want to believe that because I can't believe that like all, all the makers who who contributed to the genre are all complete misogynistic dicks. I don't want to believe that. Okay. But the people who made this film, fuck them. You may, I don't even, I don't even think they're good people. I, I'm sorry. I don't at this point. I, I no. I just, if this was based on something, I might've bought it, but I saw no based on a book or anything. So this is an original idea. So whoever wrote this, I, I hope you had a bad life. And yes, I said that. And I mean it for inflicting this kind of ugliness onto the world. Eat a bag of dicks. Well, I'm getting grumpy and I'm getting grumpy and even grumpier in my old age, but all right. Fascinating, irritating thing. I'm going to try and find a positive, fascinating thing here.
1: Okay, good luck.
0: Um. Okay, here we go. I'm utterly fascinated by how much this movie irritated me. I have not been this angry at a film. I have not been this utterly just disgusted by a film in years. And the fact that a movie made in 1975 has the capacity, has the ability to get me this pissed and this worked up. Hey, and you know, I liked a Serbian film. Okay, I now let me rephrase that. I appreciate. No, that's the wrong word too. I don't even know how to describe what I feel about a Serbian film. I can deal with a Serbian film. This film, no, fuck you. So the fact that, that there is a film from the 70s that can turn me off so completely, hey, more power to you. No, not more power to you, but well done in that respect. You got me. You got me. I can put up with all that shit, but you got me. Well done, sort of. Irritating thing, every single thing about this movie. With the possible exception of, I will give you, had Magda not turned into an idiot every time her man was around, she could have been a good character. Mm -hmm. In a way, that's even more irritating because she could have been a good character. She could have been. She could have been a very interesting character. She could have been, and I hate using the phrase on this, but, you know, just with, with a simple tweak, she could have been a Laurie Strode.
1: Yeah, a very simple tweak. I mean, she first of all, she's a, an aspiring photographer. Rather than go running to Carlo, she could have followed Gisella to the drop and taken those pictures and gotten the evidence. There was no need to involve... Carlo kept getting wedged into it while Magda was driving the plot. She would
0: drive it and then... Run into Carlo. But remember, we, we need the man. We have to have the man. So,
1: But it's like, yeah, it's like the series.
0: Yeah, it was, the, the plot
1: was just a series of hit and run accidents. I kept running into Carlo, but never killing him.
0: Yep. Nope. Okay, you're fascinating. irritating. I want to put this puppy to bed.
1: Fascinating thing to me is that, as you see, it was made in 1975. There's not a hint that... The woman's movement is even nascent. And and I don't just mean in the attitude, because there's there's plenty of sexist movies being made today. But just this, just the way the women are acting around the man and the, the amount of abuse there just there's no end of and or, or even when they're being nice, even when Carlo is being flirtatious and fun with, with women fun as he gets. He's still nagging them and belittling them. Is this reflective at all of what sexual relations were like in, in Italy in the 70s? I mean, to a certain extent, they haven't changed that much because everyone said to Asia Argento, oh, your career is going to be ruined if you speak out against Harvey Weinstein because they don't they don't take that Me Too stuff in Italy. And she did get savaged. So sexual politics are, are still pretty antediluvian in Italy, but I guess if this is where they started, they could only get better. Fascinating, the Interesting thing to me was that Maurizio, the obese, middle-aged, impotent husband, was, maybe you won't be surprised by this, it, I was, he was 28 years old, the actor. What? He was born in 1947.
0: Okay, I'm surprised by that. Yeah.
1: My first thought when he's saying, Mama said I would, it would happen to me someday, but it's, it hasn't, I've never made it with a girl. I thought, you're 40. Are
0: you kidding? <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I thought the exact same fucking thing there. I, I, wow. Yep. Wow. Okay, you blow my mind, Scott. Congratulations.
1: You're welcome. Irritating thing. You alluded to this before, and it's worth getting irritated about. I thought, if nothing else, it would be visually interesting because that is one of the hallmarks of the jello. Interesting camera work, the POV shots, the different ways of telling a narrative that were somewhat non-conventional. Because you're putting the killer up front, but you're trying to conceal their identity. There were a lot of the jollos that people still talk about were little more than just an exercise in style. Nobody cares who the killer was. It doesn't matter. But they were fascinating right. to watch. Now, going in, I thought, well, it's the 70s. It's probably going to look kind of gritty and ugly the way movies made in New York in the same period are. But I right. kind of like that grit in that grain in the film. But this was ugly in a very unimaginative way. And it just sort of, okay, that, well, the actors are over there. Point the camera in that direction. All right, well, do we want to frame it? Do we want to go for a lighting effect? Do we want to do something to suggest mood? Or do we want to find an interesting backdrop? Nah, just point it over there. I mean, it was brutally efficient camera work that got the job done and showed you the movie as the director intended, but... It had not a lick of style. It was, except for the fact that it was ugly and gritty and grainy, it had a very TV movie feel to it.
0: I was just about to say Lifetime. Lifetime with Muff.
1: Ha! There you go.
0: There's the name of the episode, Scott.
1: Alrighty. <laughs> Jotting that down now.
0: At least we can end it with a laugh. <sighs> All right. I'm done. And I apologize. No, 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 no. This was a learning experience. That you know, we 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 are better we are better film lovers for having watched this film.
1: You're right. There is no bad film experience. I mean, you may be you base it through bad films, but you always learn something from them.
0: Learn. And what I've learned is that I hate Italian slasher films.
1: Yeah. You've you've learned to hate. Well,
0: you know what? It'll help you in these times. Indeed. And on that happy note, we hope you enjoyed part 1 of this show. <laughs> <Ha>! <laughs> <laughs> we will be back soon with hopefully a much uh, a, a, a another UMC that will not be an Italian anything. But, it's going to be a while before we watch an Italian film.
1: Also, remember, if you want to suggest a movie for us to do, you can drop a comment on uh, theslumgullion.com or you can email us at theslumgullion at aol.com.
0: And why is it AOL. Because It's AOL. There's nothing on there. There's plenty of room for your mail. I love running gags. And also, don't forget if you suggest a movie, we may force you to be on the show.
1: We may. We, we're we like that. Don't put anything past us.
0: We did it to Probert. We'll do it to you. <laughs> well, Probert had it coming. Come on. <laughs> Pound of flesh. <laughs> John Claude Van Dam's house. And on that note, we'll see you soon. <laughs> I scared you to <laughs>
1: Don't do that anymore, okay?
0: I apologize. I'll show you just how sorry I am.
1: <laughs> what are you waiting for? Are you being careful? Don't worry. I'm on the pill, honey. Oh, how nice. It's better not to run any risks, though. Uh-huh. Uh,
0: that's my girl. Uh,
1: hey, where do you uh, think you're... Just a
0: minute. You'll see.
1: No. 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 Uh, uh, no. Uh, no! Uh, no! Uh, I I,
0: I was just joking.